When Chris looked at Marissa, he saw something that he liked, something that he wanted. When he looked at her, he saw a woman who would help him control his lusts and someone who would help him fulfill his dream of having a prosperous life. That was my motivation of work and that's what I poured myself into working overtime and money and finances and and just pursuing that so that we could have that image that we were shooting for in our marriage. When Marissa looked at Chris, she saw something that she liked, something that she wanted. When she looked at him, she saw a man who would help her pursue the Lord and would help her create the kind of spiritual life that she dreamed about. I knew Chris wasn't a mature Christian, but I thought that we were moving in the same direction and it became clear that we weren't. And that was kind of when I realized I don't have the relationship with God that I thought I did. And then everything came crashing down. But in the end, this did not result in the destruction of their marriage, but in the creation of something unexpected, something beautiful, something brand new. This is Purity for Life. I'm your host, Nate Dancer. Here we go. About a month ago, I had a chance to get to eat dinner with Chris and Marissa Beisner, who are both graduates of our counseling programs. Chris went through the residential program and Marissa went through our wives program. And being with them was such a joy because even though I didn't really know them very well and didn't know their full story at that time, I knew that they had come through some extremely difficult things in their marriage And watching them together made it really clear that what God had done for them was a miracle. Before we get into my interview with them, let's hear a little bit about their lives before they came to Pure Life Ministries. You know, I think I found pornography in a magazine in my early elementary days in the side ditch of the road. And then from there, it was, you know, I knew it was out there. I knew my father had magazines, self-gratification. There was no limit on that. There was no thought that it was wrong. And then as I grew, it was just whatever the girlfriend or the other woman in my life would let me do, that's where the boundary was. It may not have been sex, but it was, there was no boundaries whatsoever that I wouldn't cross. I lost my virginity a long before my wife. I mean, I was still messing around with other women when I was with her, uh, engaged to her. Uh, there was multiple women leading up to my marriage that I was physically with. And, and all I had to do was keep it quiet and I could stop once I got married. That, that, that marriage would solve that small problem of, of the lust that maybe I was... Uh, hiding from her. Yeah, I think I just buried feelings in general from my wife. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a good marriage uh, example in my parents, and I, I buried feelings away from my wife, which hardened me so much that uh, I probably confided in other women with personal information uh, than than I did with my wife. 
which led to boundaries being crossed after marriage. I thought after once I got married that I wouldn't I wouldn't physically be with another woman. I thought I would definitely be flirtatious. And so I thought that marriage would satisfy the hunger of the lust, I guessed, that caused me to pursue other women. And when that didn't, uh, I don't know that I had a, a moment to where I was in trouble. It was just kind of protection mode and don't tell anybody and hide everything. My strong-willed pursuit of the things that I wanted, I just pursued. And uh, to my own demise, I got everything I wanted. I grew up in a Christian home, and I thought that we were the ideal Christian family. Um, I was very involved in church because I just felt a very strong sense of belonging in the church. I was involved in everything that I could possibly get involved in and um, loved it. I saw my parents growing up, you know, memorizing scripture. My dad was always up early having his quiet time. And I just, I knew that I wanted to imitate that. You know, I just thought those things pleased God. And um, as I got older, I just kind of felt the fire go out. I guess, um, really around college, and it was just kind of, I felt myself questioning a lot of things, and then my parents got divorced um, when I was in college, and that really led to a lot of questions for me, and just feeling like um, my quote-unquote relationship with God was very empty and just based on spiritual acts that I thought I was supposed to do, or even that I enjoyed doing. But I realized I was not interacting with the Lord as a father or as a friend. Um, It was very much religion. And I had always told people, you know, I remember witnessing to people in high school and saying, oh, Christianity is not a religion. But I realized as I got older, I was living in religion and not in a relationship with Christ. And... um, It became even more empty when I realized that my marriage was not what I hoped it would be. And um, after Chris and I got married, I think I just envisioned us running toward Jesus together because, like I said, I knew I was in in kind of a questioning and immature phase in college. And um, I knew Chris wasn't a mature Christian. But I thought that we were moving in the same direction and it became clear that we weren't. And that was kind of when I realized I don't have the relationship with God that I thought I did. All right, let's get into the interview with Chris and Marissa. Guys, thanks so much for being willing to share your story with us. Absolutely. Chris, I want to start with you. We heard a little bit about the spiritual environment that Marissa grew up in, but um, what about you? What was the spiritual atmosphere like in your home? Yeah, I uh, grew up in a non-Christian home. I went to a Lutheran church. Uh, I found that why we went to that Lutheran church is because my dad liked to sing in the choir, and my mom didn't want to be the mom that didn't or the wife that didn't go to church on Sundays. So 
Sundays were my family was checking the box. We went there. We did that. I went through catechism, Martin Luther, um, mm. and and that was me for my first eighteen years. I looked at Sunday school as a sixth day of school, and I didn't even like the first five days that I was going Monday <laughs> through Friday. So uh, there was absolutely no effort. I was there to check the box. Absolutely. Um, just growing up with a, a family that was self-driven, self-motivated with uh, goals of the world. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Marissa, you talked about having a genuine desire for the Lord in your growing up years. When you look back at that now, from where you're standing, how do you see that, those growing up years? Hmm. Um, I think that, like I kind of mentioned, like my sense of belonging was very much tied up in the church. And so I guess probably the things that I did and the ways that I was involved in the way that I interacted with God was, um, just kind of trying to gain some sort of significance. Um, and I hate to be like, I'm the middle child, but you know, as a middle <laughs> child, sometimes you like need some significance. Right. And I and I got that at church. And I guess I it wasn't truly coming from the Lord. I thought it was, but it it was very much tied up in like, what am I doing? What am I involved in? And how mm-hmm. good am I at that? So I was the kid that memorized more scripture than anybody else and won contests for it and things like that. Um, Okay. You were the overachiever. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can you talk about maybe like what were some of your goals in life and the things that were really important to you? I think when we got married, we had the same somewhat image of what are we've wanted our, our family to look like. We, of course, you know, we wanted the house, we wanted land, we wanted to be in the country. We both grew up that way. And, and I think for several years of our marriage, that was my motivation of work. And that's what I poured myself into working overtime and money and finances and, and just pursuing that so that we could have that image that we had, that we were shooting for in our marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would say there are goals. Some of our goals were aligned in that way. And then I also had this goal of having a great marriage. And that would become a huge idol for me uh, the longer we were married because I could never get a hold of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the idol just grew more and more as I saw what I thought to be good marriages. And it just became like, why isn't that me? And why doesn't my husband support my dreams anymore? And because, you know, the longer you're married, you become different people, especially Mm -hmm. after you have kids. And that really happened to us in a big way because my priorities totally changed the moment that we had our first child. And Chris was kind of blindsided by that. Like, wait, I thought you were going to work full-time forever so that we always had two incomes Mm -hmm. so that we could always have whatever we wanted. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of (laughs) switched things up on him and was like, Nope, 
now my number one priority is to be mom. And that's what I want to be. And um, that was when our real conflict started. Yeah. So, Chris, you were hoping that the marriage would kind of put a lid on the sexual lust so that you wouldn't be unfaithful to Marissa during marriage. But were you were you also looking for fulfillment from her in another way? Or was it just kind of like, okay, she's there because she gives me sex and then she's also going to be a she'll bring home money, you know, it was, or were you looking for emotional fulfillment or what? No, I would say those are the two things that I was probably fueled by um, at that age or at that stage of my life. It was definitely money and it was definitely uh, sex or intimacy when I wanted it on my terms. It was not, you know, my wife is an emotional person and wants to see me cry and she wants to be close and she, <laughs> like she wants that intimacy. And, right, right. and that was not me at all. That was, you know, it, lust gets a hold of you and it just says, this is what I want. This is how I want it. And I want it on my terms and, and that's it. That's all I'm here. Mm-hmm. To, that's all I have to give. Right. Yeah. So it's amazing because the thing that, we imagine is going to be a fulfilling thing actually becomes the source of so much conflict, right? Because we're in it for ourselves. Um, Now, I'm not married, but I can see it in my own life where if I've got a goal for myself that is self-centered, that always causes strife in relationships because that other person is my competition or or even my enemy, you know, like a hindrance to what I want. And, and it's just that selfishness and self-centeredness that brings the conflict into that. So I, you guys kind of already talked about that a little bit, like how marriage actually started to get in the way of what you both were looking for. Um, what did that... What did that do um, inside of you toward the other person? I mean, it it 100% made us enemies. I mean, there was no sacrificing. There was no doing things for others. There was no, I mean, everything I did was selfishly motivated. It was mine for the taking. There was no giving to her. Um, Yeah, we were enemies and I would deliberately go to work more to get away from my enemy because my other love or more important love being money was there. Yeah. And I would actually use religion and spirituality to manipulate, to get what I wanted. Cause when I wanted to be a stay at home mom, Chris and I had major conflict over that. And we actually ended up going back to the pastor who married us because I knew what he would say. I knew who'd be on my side. And then I knew Chris would be stuck in a, in a place where he wouldn't want to look bad. So he might give me what I wanted. And that's exactly what happened. But there was, there was an immediate change in um, how Chris interacted with me from that point on, because there was an immediate loss of respect when I was no longer a career woman. 
I was a, a police officer for seven and a half years. I loved it more than my family. Uh, I would have chosen it over my wife and my children because I love my job that much. I love the image that I got as an officer, the pride that came along with that. Uh, for worldly standards, I felt like I was a good officer. I, you know, promotions and, and moving into new positions, uh, everything looked great. I looked uh, good on the outside. I trained a, a female at work. Uh, she was going through a difficult time in her life. Uh, I 100% pursued her. I mean, that was completely on me. And then uh, a relationship was basically born from spending time together. And uh, it was a year-long relationship that I hid from my wife. There was one moment that uh, this, this woman that I worked with and I was on shift with, this happened at work, came up and kissed me at work. And I, I wear a body camera and it activated the body camera. And uh, it immediately records 30 seconds back. And so the entire incident and everything until I noticed that the body camera was on was recorded and instantly downloaded and I tried to delete it, get rid of it, and uh, I was questioned about it and uh, given an option to resign or be fired. It took me a, a couple of days to deal with that decision. Praise the Lord, I decided to walk away and um, kept my family from a difficult, maybe public, I don't know, investigation, I'm not sure what you want to call it, but my identity was completely crushed. I mean, that I wrapped myself into my career and I had no idea who I was at that point. I gave my wife a verbal commitment to go to Pure Life. I don't think we had made the financial deposit, but I was, you know, we burned firewood for heat in our home. And for some reason, I thought I was gracious enough to go out and chop firewood and for my wife if I decided to go to Pure Life. And, and I had chopped firewood all my life, physical activity. I love to go out and just work. And um, chopping that tree was the hardest thing I think I ever did. And the sad part is I was using a splitter. You know, I wasn't doing it by hand. I was using a gas-powered splitter to chop this firewood. But yet that was the hardest physical labor I ever had to do in my life. I found myself laying on the laundry room floor with my wife over top of me saying, what is wrong? Because I'm crying. And the weight of what I was dealing with finally had just brought me down, whether it was my knees or whether it was just me laying on my back crying. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but this is the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life to chop this firewood. And of course, that wasn't it. You know, it wasn't the firewood itself. It was just where I had directed my life, where I had um, when I was in charge of my life, this is where I took it. I was finally, I think at that point, ready to give up my image and myself and, and ask for help. I was at a, both a really bad place and a really good place when it all came out. Um, Spiritually, I had gone through about a year. I mean, it was really funny to look back almost that the Lord really started preparing me for what was to come at the beginning of his affair, which was a year before I found out because um, I had joined a Bible study at our new church and it was on discerning the voice of God. And I grew so much during that study. And um, my relationship with God really took off after that. 
and there was a ton of spiritual growth. Um, at the same time, there was also a lot of physical and mental turmoil going on. Um, I was actually in therapy. Uh, I was a secular therapist because I was having so many emotional issues from previous uh, sexual abuse when I was a child. And, um, and I was having a lot of physical, like chronic pain symptoms during that time. And I was trying to figure out where that was coming from. So I would frequently have fibromyalgia attacks so severe, I just couldn't function. My mom would have to come help me take care of the kids. So when I found out about the affair, I was already not in a good place physically, still dealing with these things. So I was completely incapacitated. His confession came out in little bits and pieces over three months. I, I went to a really dark place mentally that I've never been before and really began to understand like demonic torment of the mind. And one day in particular, it was so bad. I thought, I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to hurt myself. And I thankfully, God dropped a name of a friend in my mind. And I called her and I said, I have, I have to get you over here with some people and pray for me because I'm going to do something. And she did. She was there within minutes and they prayed over me. And that was the first time I was able to get out of bed because the pain actually lifted from my body as they prayed. So that was really profound. Then when the second confession came out, I was just angry. I was so angry because he had continued to deceive me that I went into such a rage. I, I had a terrible migraine. Half my body went numb. I thought I was having a stroke. He had to take me to the hospital. I couldn't stop throwing up. It was just absolutely horrible. And then finally, by the time everything came out, I was just like, I'm done. That's how I felt. The Lord was not telling me that that was okay, but that's just how I felt. I just told him to get out. So there was a lot of like big <laughs> feelings and not great reactions on my part when, when everything came out. You know, I think that one thing that is, um, as I mentioned before, it's just really amazing how the Lord uses something like this to do such a transformative work in both the man and the woman. And we've heard this so many different times from different women who really embraced what the Lord was trying to do, that this wasn't so damaging to her that he gets free, but she's like um, spiritually lame for the rest of her life. Uh, it's both people going through a deep, profound experience of transformation and coming to know the Lord in a real way that both are able to say very clearly, I'm so glad for what the Lord did. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we could talk about your testimonies from a lot of different angles. We, what we really want to do in this show is focus specifically on how the Lord 
worked to set you both free from this kind of striving and this selfish ambition? Um, can you just maybe both talk about how the Lord was doing that for you and what that looked like? Yeah, I think uh, when I was at Pure Life, the first thing was just the pride in myself of, you know, I can find pride in anything. Um, I worked hard because that's what I saw to do. And then once you get affirmation, you know, right there is pride that's born in my mind and my heart. And that's what just grows from there. Uh, But the first thing was pride that I had to deal with that, you know, everything in my life has been about me and it's not. We are, and I'm wired to fuel myself. I'm wired to do for me first. And Jesus is the total opposite of that. Um, Everything he's given me has been a gift. My work ethic Mm. is a gift and I have used it for myself. I have not used it for others or my wife or my kids or my marriage. I've, I've just abused the gifts that he has given. So pride was the first thing that had to get out of my way before I could see anybody else, before I could see my wife and what I had done in our marriage to not serve her, uh, my kids and the same thing. So the biggest, I mean, the biggest thing I have to deal with then and still now, I'm sure is just getting myself out of the way that I'm not the one that gets the glory for anything I do. What about you, Marissa? I think the first thing that the Lord really wanted to do with me was expose my self-righteousness and and show me what a filthy rag it was. Because <laughs> I remember I would just kind of sometimes stew and sit and think of all the wrongs that Chris had done to me. And one thing that the Lord really used to wake me up was Jeff and Rose Cologne's book. There was a line in there where he talks about how Rose probably wouldn't have married him if she had known that he would be an unfaithful husband. And then he goes on to say that Jesus went ahead and joined himself to us, knowing that we would be Mm -hmm. an unfaithful bride. And I just remember I just started weeping when I read that and and just crying out to God and saying, I'm sorry, I'm an unfaithful bride to you. Um, I'm no better than he is. And um, that was a real breakthrough for me um, in forgiving him, forgiving Chris. And then it was like the first week or something of my counseling in the wives program that my counselor was like, so how are you doing on forgiving the other woman? I was like, "Um, (laughs) what? (laughs) You want me to do that already? And um, she goes, well, you know, this week, just read Jeremiah 3. And, and then tell me your thoughts next week. So I immediately read Jeremiah 3. And there's some really strong language in there that the Lord uses to describe our unfaithfulness to him. And I didn't like that. It really confronted something in me that was like, no, I'm, I'm not the whore, <laughs> like it says. And, and the Lord was just like very gently, yeah, that that is you, and that's her, and that's your husband, and it's everyone who's ever sinned against me, and so you have to forgive her. So that was that was a big moment in in my counseling that happened right off the bat. Um, another thing I realized was I had used Chris's poor 
example of a husband to make excuses for the things that I wasn't willing to do as a wife and to be selfish with my time and my energy. And I realized that um, through some of Kathy's talks in the, in the homework that I had allowed feminism to enter into my worldview and I had rejected some of my roles and that God had intended for me. And um, so I had to repent of those. And I remember <laughs> writing letters to Chris, like apologizing before we were even talking on the phone <laughs> and just being like, the Lord is showing me where I was wrong. And so now I have to repent to you. <laughs> as you're, you know, as you guys are talking, it's pretty amazing because I'm, like I said, I'm not married, so I've never been through this process. But, you know, you guys had been in a a married relationship for how long? It was almost eight. We celebrated our eighth anniversary at Pure Life. So, okay. Eight years. So for eight years, you had been living in close quarters with each other. And it's like, for the first time, Chris, you're learning to see your wife. Sad, yes. Right? For the first time in eight years. And Marissa, for the first time in eight years, maybe, I'm just kind of guessing, that you were willing to say to your husband, I was wrong. Yeah. So it's that's amazing. It's like, for the first time, you were actually being married. Hmm. Yeah. It's just it's like that that's brand new. That's not that's not healing. That is absolute re, that's like new creation. Yeah. It felt that way. It felt very different. Well, and that's it's amazing. I mean, the Lord knows exactly what you need and that's what I needed. I mean, I I had an affair on this woman and she is repenting to me. That's Jesus. That does not make sense, right? That in our modern mind we can't we can't fathom that, but but that's you know, that's how he works. Hmm. So it's it's obvious that something powerful happened in both of your lives. Chris, um, you had a genuine relationship with the Lord for the first time. Marissa you regained something in Jesus that had been gone for a long time, or I guess I would say that your heart had just been purified to a much greater degree. Uh, Chris, what was it like for you then when you transitioned home um, for phase two of our residential program? I didn't know what to expect coming home with doing phase two at home, but when I came home, we tried to keep a pretty rigid schedule just like they did at Pure Life. Like, I think, you know, there were evenings to where I was in a guy's group, she was in a girl's group. Um, we would just sit and talk with the TV off, you know, one light on, drinking a hot beverage. Uh, there were days where she'd be reading her book, I'd read my book. You know, we even had our own movie night. I think we kept that as Saturday night was a day that, you know, we, kept, <laughs> That's we did great. at our house. So, so I just that schedule when you come home, because you can't go back. If, if we go back to that, we might last a little while, but as soon as you go back to the, the lifestyle that you left when you went to Pure Life, you're going to slowly erode away and just drift away 
from the Lord and your life's going to go back to where you were. So, you know, I don't, we don't really have Saturday night movie night now, but, but I think we, our evenings together are spent 100% after our kids go to bed together. And we are more intentional with, you know, after eight o'clock, we are more intentional with our time. And we, we enjoyed being with each other after he came home, which was new. (laughs) Hmm. That's true. (laughs) How quickly do you guys recognize now when you're in some of those self-centered mindsets? You know what I mean? Like when conflict arises, does it ring a bell pretty quickly? Like, oh yeah, we're conflicted here because we're being selfish or does it take some time still? It takes some time before we admit it to each other. (laughs) (laughs) I think think now we're to the point to where I think we're reconciling within the sun up to sun down. I think, I mean, I, I feel comfortable saying that, that there are times to where we both still need our space, but yet we find that conviction sets in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel pretty confident in just saying that it's within that sun up to sundown period to where, I mean, we want it to be right. You know, we want to go to bed not upset with each other. We want to go to bed healing through a problem as opposed to still at opposite ends. So I, I think we both have that desire, and but we still both have that self-control in us as well too. I'm interested to know, um, for myself anyway, I can say that the things that the Lord started to do at Pure Life, the things that I would consider to be the deepest works that he started at Pure Life are still kind of the things that he's doing. <laughs> you know, I it's like some of these things just go so deep. Mm. And I still need a lot of help. Um I'm wondering like like how often is the Lord reminding you I'm still after this in your heart? <laughs> uh for me it was just this past Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh we were singing a song at church, and the line was something like, um, "It's all that I have, or like I've nothing fit for a king," something like that. And and I was just like, "Oh, that line hit me!" And I just started crying. I was blubbering. Really, it was probably embarrassing. And then he gave me that phrase, like, "Your righteousness is filthy rags." And I realize I'm still trying to be righteous before him. I'm not taking on the righteousness of Christ. I'm still working for it. Mm-hmm. And and he just used that to bring me down again and and remind me that I can't earn it, you know, and that self-righteousness is still in my nature and something that I have to continually lay down. What about you, Chris? Yes, there's so many things that I do not ever want to forget, whether it was leading up to Pure Life, whether it was at Pure Life, whether it was a letter from my wife, a phone call. Um, I want those things to keep me humbled, to be focused on being a servant. I mean, I think there's still times where we repent to each other. We don't have it figured out. We still butt heads. Uh, It's amazing just to be able to come back together I mean, I'm closer to my wife now than I've ever been in my life. 
and it's you know it's just a hundred percent the repentance to her uh and and trying to be a servant or a biblical husband you know as as our marriage continues to evolve and change in 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 different seasons of life so okay, Marissa, let me ask you a question because I think those crisis moments right the these huge momentous events that we have in our life often bring the issues right up to the surface very clearly. Um, But then you kind of settle into normal life, and for you, maybe you're not like being smacked with these huge crisis events now. So like that really drew you to the Lord. What is it for you that keeps you pressing in to know the Lord the way you learned to when you came to Pure Life? Hmm. Um, what keeps me pressing in, I think, is I realized there's no limit to the intimacy I can have with the Lord if I want it. And, and so knowing that I can always go deeper and deeper and deeper, and that every time I do, there's more and more joy in my life. Life is just better. Um, it just keeps me wanting more. And every time that I see that there's more and I go after the more and I ask him for the more and he gives it, it I don't know, it's um, it's like a new addiction. I just want more and more and more. <laughs> and, but it's a good, a good thing to be addicted to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you were talking to a couple who was where you were three years ago, um, what would you say? I think I would say, um, at least to the wife, just lean all the way into Jesus because your your husband can't carry you. (laughs) And there's just an indescribable joy that you can have that isn't dependent on your circumstances. Because the Lord promises to draw near to the brokenhearted, and He drew so near to me that I look back on the time that Chris was in the program when I was alone, and it's literally one of the sweetest times that I've ever had with the Lord. And and sometimes, not that I wish I could go back to not having Chris around, but sometimes I'm almost like jealous for that time that I had because I know that that was a nearness that he brings when you're brokenhearted and it's something special. And I just wish all wives knew that they could have that because unfortunately we've seen that some don't want to believe that that's possible for them. And that breaks my heart um, because I know how good the Lord is when we just ask him for what, what we need. And, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I thank God regularly for, for letting me go through that. Mm. Um, pure life was so hard. It's the hardest thing I'd ever done, you know, to leave your family like that. But I mean, it's like, it's exactly what Marissa said. It was, if you're not, 
pursuing the Lord, communicating with Him, uh, crying out to Him, just spending that time with Him, there is so much more that you're missing that He can provide in an instant that will take away your worries, your doubt, your fears of, of whatever this world has to offer. I just I've talked to a few guys since, and you know, it seems like they've had the, if you want to call it an aha moment of the light switch coming on, the veil being removed, and just being, oh my gosh, there it is. Uh, it's just a blessing I can't describe um, to have in my life that I had no idea was uh, even available to me. I really love it when both a husband and a wife share their testimony on Purity for Life because it shows something of God's heart and his power and his ways. He can use something as painful and as devastating as sexual sin to draw both the husband and the wife much closer to Jesus. That is amazing to me. And you can hear that Chris and Marissa are thankful for what the Lord did, not just in spite of Chris's sin, but because of it. That is a miracle. Before we go, if Chris and Marissa's testimony was a blessing to you, and if it brought someone to mind that you think needs to hear it, please take this opportunity to share this episode with them. It could be a couple in crisis, or it could be a hurting parent, or it could be a pastor who might need to hear something like this, I think testimonies like this ought to be shared. Thanks so much for listening to our show today. We'll see you next week. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.